we have a special guest for you today. But first, I should tell you what podcast this is. It's an initiative role, a Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. I'm your host, Logan Johnson. And I'm your Dungeon Master, Nathaniel Johnson. Now, I've alluded to a special guest. Nathaniel, who is that guest? Who could I possibly be referring to? You are referring to none other than E. Gary Gygax. I can't believe that his first name is not actually Gary. I know, it's a shame, isn't it? But Gary Gygax, I get why he went by it. Yeah, it's good. It's catchy, to say the very least. Yeah, so, as you may have suspected, this is going to be a fairly low-key cast. We do not actually have Gary Gygax in the room. Um, actually, surprise for you, I contacted him. Uh, via Ouija board. And yes. he's here. <laughs> no, we did not do that. Um, it was actually, it, it was Wait, actually... should I put out the candles around the pentagram? Yeah. Are yeah. We... Okay, cool. Let me just snuff those out Shrek style real quick. Snuff those out Shrek style. That puts such a specific image in the brain. I know, I know. Well, so obviously we don't have the ghost of E. Gary Gygax in the room with us. At least as far as I know. It's possible. Look, here's the thing. There are ghosts everywhere. Look, I'm not saying like, there's inherently paranormal, paranormal stuff. Believe what you want, people. But I do want to say that there have been trillions of people on this planet. There's not a square foot of it upon which somebody has not been brutally murdered. So there's there's some lingering essence everywhere. Um, you're walking through a ghost right now as you listen to this. So think about that. Um, Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So I'm just I'm, all I'm saying, that whole, the whole point is that it's possible... Gary Gygax, you're taking this book from me. What do you want? I want I want to start opening up the book. All right, I'm just saying Gary Gygax could be in the room. We don't know for sure. Um, but, but yet, regardless of whether or not he's in the room, we do have his his life's work before us. Yeah, we recently uh, were granted access to an old copy of AD&D, specifically the Player's Handbook is what we want to take a look at today. I like that. Granted access. You've made it sound like we've been given, like, special... Like we're about to freaking bust open the President's Book of Secrets with Nick Cage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just... I'm excited for it. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's that's, that's good. Uh, No, we we are. Um, I want to point out that the... When you open up the Player's Handbook for AD&D, the first thing you see is a wizard sitting on a little... Sorry, is that the tree stump? from Kirby? Is it, that it a looks tree like stump it. of the tree from Kirby? It's exactly what it looks like. Okay, take a photo of this right now and send it to me. Oh, no, we're going to do a photo shoot with this book later for the Instagram page, so don't stress it. Oh, okay, good, because I was like, we got to put that on the blog. That's unreal. Oh. That is straight-up Wispy Willows right there. Yeah, and what it is is this wizard looking over his spell book sitting on this stump, uh, puffing on a pipe. That is the opening image. Are we sure that this is a wizard? I presume it is. It's technically actually not a wizard. You are right. I'm going to pitch it a It is a magic twist. user. This is a self-portrait of Gary Gygax. I, I think it is as well. his own book. Um, which, speaking of reviewing his own book, that actually brings me to the first thing I wanted to talk about today with okay, it. Okay, hit me. Uh, it's the preface. <clears throat> um, we're not going to read the whole preface that Gary wrote. It's over a page long. Oh, whoa, that thing's beefy. Yeah. I assumed that it ended after those first two paragraphs. So did I at first, and then I turned the page. Um... No, here's a. Here's some stuff that I want to read. I'll just read the first paragraph. 
The whole of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was a project which involved varying degrees of my thought, imagination, and actual working time over a period of more than a year and a half, and one half. Because of other demands, the project was per, was perforce set aside for a day or a week or even longer. Did Make, he just say perforce? Oh yeah, it, right. the language is really, really, uh, it's fun in here. You can tell he just wrote a fantasy thing. Mm-hmm. Making it hard to get back to. Knowing that this would be the case when I began, the Monster Manual was selected as the first of the three volumes in the advanced game to work on. Hundreds of different creatures lend themselves to segmental treatment. Only after that book was finished did I begin to put the sheathed reams of notes for the players and Dungeon Masters books into order, and that was only as the bones, tables, charts, and matrices for rough typing and careful rechecking before a final manuscript was built around them. I'm sorry, listeners, I'm going to actually read the second paragraph, because this is this is the meat of what I want to talk about. Oh, okay, cool. This latter part of the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons project I approached with no small amount of trepidation. After all, the game's major appeal is to those persons with unusually active imagination and <laughs> superior active intellect. Sorry, hold on, hold on. I'm going to take a look at this one more time. For those of you taking notes at home, Gary Gygax just said, this latter part of the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons project I approached with no small amount of trepidation. He was nervous. Why was he nervous? (laughs) The game's major appeal is to those persons with unusually active imagination and superior active intellect. Dang. Yep. What well, guy had mad respect for his player base, I guess, which is cool. Yeah, we're, we're not done. It's a weird flex, though. A very demanding audience indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Gygax has stumbled upon the secret that most modern game developers are just barely, barely scratching the surface of, and that's that nerds are the most demanding of all player bases. Yep. Um, authoring these works means that, in a way, I have set myself up as final arbitrator of fantasy role-playing in the minds of the majority of D&D adventurers. Well, so be it, I rationalized. Oh, wait. (laughs) Hold on. No, 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 we gotta discuss this. Oh, no, 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 I need to read the next sentence as part of it. Did he just refer to himself as the final arbitrator of all fantasy? Role-playing. Okay. In the minds of the majority of D&D adventurers, which I'll grant, like, at the time, that was actually true. A lot of people called Gary Gygax personally and were like, hey, we had this question with the rules. And he'd be like, I I have a life outside of this game, you know. Did he? I don't, I don't think, I don't think he ever said that, and I don't know. Right. Um, But no, uh, well, so be it, I rationalized. Who better than the individual responsible for it all as creator of the fantasy supplement in Chainmail, the progenitor of D&D, and as the first proponent of fantasy gaming and a principal in TSR, the company one thinks of when fantasy games are mentioned. The credit and blame rests ultimately here. Some last authority must be established for a very good reason. Whoa. (laughs) I mean, granted, as we said before, this is 1978. Nowadays, those are some big, big claims. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's really interesting. More than more than any rule book I've ever read before, and I have only scratched the surface of this book. Uh, 
I mean, obviously this is the preface. You're going to get to see the author's personality, but more than any other rule book I've ever seen before, do you really see the thoughts of how the author thinks the actual world should work? Sure. Now, in, in defense of that difference, this is the one of the only rule books you'll find for any modern RPG that was written by one person. Right. Um, that's not standard at all. Well, even the original game wasn't written by one person. I actually have a compilation of the original game with us. Gosh. Um, Though I'm not sure how edited it's been, so I didn't oh, want to go over man. it. Yeah, there it is. Uh, and if you if you crack it open, is it three hole punched? It is. It it is. Wow. So let's see here. This really is like the president's book of secrets, Gary Gygax's book of secrets. Yeah. So this one is from 1980. So I'm not sure. Sure. Well, no, a little more recent actually. That's what I meant. Um, and it doesn't have Gary Gygax's name on there, so I want to find one of these days an original copy of the first 1974. No way. What? There's an ad in the back for Gen Con. Crazy, right? Yeah, that's nuts. There's, there's a lot of stuff here to unpack. I do like how he set himself up, I, I said this again, as the final authority for fantasy role-playing, uh-huh. and it makes me wish he was still alive, because you know I would call him slash email slash DM him with, or maybe just mention him on Twitter, with literally all of my Skyrim questions. <laughs> I'd be like, oh yeah, bud, <laughs> you got this one? And he's like, I didn't make this game. <laughs> yep, that's, uh, yeah, um... I do want to read this. He's got five basic rules in the foreword for players. Um, the first is, be an organized player. Have the necessary information on your character readily at hand and available to the Dungeon Master. Number two is, cooperate with the Dungeon Master and respect his decisions. If you disagree, present your viewpoint with the, with deference to his position as game moderator. Be prepared to accept his decision as final, and remember that not everything in the game will always go your way. Uh, three, cooperate with the other players and respect their right to participate. Encourage new and novice players by making suggestions and allowing them to make decisions on courses of action rather than dictating their responses. Four, if you are unable to participate in an adventure, give the other players in the DM some concrete guidelines if your character is going to be included in the adventuring group. Be prepared to accept the consequences, good or bad in any case. Five, Get in the spirit of the game and use your persona to play with a special personality all its own. Interact with the other player characters and non-player characters to give the same the game campaign a unique flavor and life. Above all, let yourself go and enjoy. And oddly enough, I, I think those are actually five really good rules to still play the game by. Yeah, no, he... I mean, what he's touching on here... It would be easy in the player's handbook to talk about rules that is apply to the version and he definitely spends Uh, like hundreds of pages doing that later not hundreds actually but a lot a lot of pages later doing that Um, but in the beginning in that foreword he puts forward five rules that will always apply to Dungeons and Dragons and any role playing game I think in a lot of ways yeah I don't know um (laughs) number four is actually one of my favorites which is the one, just to, to review, is the one where he says if you can't participate, give them some guidelines for how you want your character played and then accept the consequences. Uh, which is cool because it implies that, like, hey, it's okay to dip out on an adventure, but if your homie dies, that's on you. Right? Yeah. Uh, which is kind of an interesting interesting thing. He <laughs> Get in the spirit of the game and use your persona. You know that's 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 getting me right in all kinds of ways. 
I just want to scream Persona and then like summon Captain Kid or Arsene or something. You know, there's like probably nobody in our audience who gets that joke, right? Yeah, but there's always a chance the audience grows. That's true. That's and despite true. the fact that the last episode was a little bit of a Dungeons and Dragons stinko, we could still keep some after that fall off. I hope so. so. I sure hope so. Um, because I think we've actually got a great episode here today going over this uh, for our theme. Just kind of how the game has changed. Man, you just turned into Gary Gygax. One read of that forward, and now you're like, I am the podcast authority. I am the podcast authority. All other podcast makers turn to me when they have questions. I, I love that idea. There are several advice podcasts out there, and I love the idea that when advice podcasters have questions, they write to you. Right, right. <laughs> That's a thing that happens for sure. <laughs> no, uh, it, this is great. Uh, so, yeah... Okay, so let's let's take a closer look into some of the specific minutiae of these rules, some of the errata. Yeah. I, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but you said something about, about racism. Oh, we'll get to the racism. I want to hear that. Uh, the first, I want to point out something that is definitely the same. Okay. Uh, the six ability scores are the same. Really? Yep, you've got the same six ability scores. They've been this way basically since the beginning. Even the numbering is the same on them. It's... You know, 3 through 18 is what it is. Yeah, but this is very uh, different. And I'm only going to read the strength one, though. Each of these charts is a trip. Yeah, okay. What? Uh, should, should I just read it for the audience? Well, I, I, I want to go over one table real quick, and it's not the one you're going to go over. This is strength table 2, ability adjustments. Oh, yeah. This handbook gives you what your ability score is. And then it gives you the hit probability based on that ability score, a damage adjustment based on your strength ability score, which those two continue in the game today. Then there's a weight allowance. That does continue in the game today as well. It's not as clearly outlaid, is it? It's not made as much of a big of a... It's not as big of a deal. Right. If you have a strength score of 18, you can lift 3,000 pounds. (laughs) That's what? insane. Say that again? Uh, one more time. Oh, yeah. Actually, more. So if you have an ability score of 8 to 11, your, your weight allowance is normal. If you have a strength of 18, your weight allowance is over 9,000. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's plus 3,000. Um, that's, that's the maximum. I guess a reg- there's, there's things here I don't necessarily understand. But 18 can be anywhere from 750 to 3,000, depending on where you're at, um, which is wild. Um, yeah, it really is. There, uh, there are open door skills. Uh, there are skills to bend bars and lift gates. Yep, all listed under the strength category. That's wild. Um, with that said, just for those of you at home, I mentioned that we do still have a how much you can lift based on your strength score. Um I'll just, there's actually on page 176 of the 5th edition player's handbook, there's a lifting and carrying section. Ah. And it says, for example, carrying capacity. Your carrying capacity is your strength score multiplied by 15. So if your strength score is 10, you can lift 150 pounds and carry 150 pounds. Sure. Like, a realistic weight. 
Right. If you have a strength score of 20, you can do 300 pounds. But you would need a strength score of, like, 200 <laughs> to lift this 3,000-pound weight, which I really like. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the things, right, is the goal is to make the characters heroic, and this was one of the ways that he said, this is how we can do it. Totally. The interesting thing is a lot of this has been replaced with the difficulty class later. Right. 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 Um, I think that actually came in 3rd edition, and I think it's a great... Yeah, it fixes a lot of the number crunching. I mean, there was still, you know, there was still a lot of uh, difficulty class stuff that could happen, but it just was different. Uh, the one that I want to uh, read from, though, is the two wisdom tables. Okay. Um, so there's ability score 3 through 18, and we're going to go through and we're going to just kind of read each of these categories. So... Uh, Three, you get a minus three to your attack, magical attack adjustment. Four, minus two. And five, of course, minus one. But that minus one stays all the way until you have a score of eight. So it's not like a linear progression. You actually have to turn to the chart. Right. But then, um, if your wisdom score is a five, here or lower, the character can only be a thief. It says that. Wait, what? Oh, no. Oh, dude, it's going to get wild. <laughs> it's gonna get wild that is the most insane and like that is the biggest stereotype of like people that steal stuff i've ever seen oh it gets so much worse <laughs> it gets so much worse the stereotypes in this book are amazing hey, if, if you're a big fan of gary gygax and also a big fan of modern thinking Buckle up for this one. Yeah. Gary Gygax was definitely a man of the 70s. and uh, It shows. It, it definitely shows. Uh, but there's some ideas in here I kind of like. Okay. Um, like, for example, clerics, they're all based off of their wisdom modifier, right? Um, so if you have an ability score of 9, that is the minimum wisdom you can have for your cleric character. If you do not have a 9, you cannot be a cleric. Okay. Interesting. If you want to be a druid, you have to have at least 12. That's an interesting implication about clerics v. druids, noting mm -hmm. that. Um, if you want to be a paladin or multi-classed half-elven cleric character, you have to have at least a 13. Okay. Uh, let me repeat that. Or multi-classed half-elven cleric wait, wait, character. Wait, what? Sorry, okay. <laughs> Paladin or multi-classed half-elven cleric character. Whoa. 14. Oh, man, it's about to get wild. 14. Maximum wisdom for a half-orc character. All half-orcs are demos, huh? No, no, no. They just aren't very wise. Yeah, okay, fair enough, but... But notice this. A 14 is also the minimum wisdom for a ranger character. Wait, <laughs> so you have to have the maximum stat to be a ranger and a half-orc. Yeah. But you cannot be a monk, which is at 15. That's the minimum wisdom to be a monk. So you cannot be a half-orc monk in Gary Gygax Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, this is some next-level, like, first edition World of Warcraft stuff. Yeah. Well, now let's go to table two. I don't think we need to read the rest of it, because at that point it starts getting into, like... Sure, sure, sure. You know, hey, spells and whatnot. Um, Wait, but halflings are demos, too. No, Hold on. maximum is at 17, oh, and 18 okay. is the max. So, so But that... there was still a cap. There was a minimum and a cap and all these things that we don't have. 
Sure. Nowadays. In some senses, I'd agree with you. Are there not characters that get minuses to their ability scores? That by, was third edition by default. Oh, they, they uh, removed that. Technically, if you use Volo's Guide to Monsters and use some of the monster races like Goblin, then they do. Interesting. But they get some serious bonuses to compensate that. Gotcha. Hm. Um. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, it's very interesting. But I was just remarking that it wasn't strictly Gary Gygax. I mean, some of those restrictions, if you have a minus to an ability score by default, you have a cap. Right. So, but you could overcome it later. So, hmm. hmm. Okay, continue. Yeah. Um, so, wisdom table number two. Um, and, by the way, this is how all the ability scores are. There's these weird minimums and maximums for everything. Uh, except for humans. Humans don't have these penalties on them, but they don't get any bonuses either. Right. Um... But Wisdom Table 2, uh, you get bonus spells based on your uh, based on your ability score. But more interesting than that, I want to point out this section that says chance of spell failure. Now, if you have if you have a wisdom score of 13 or above, you're never going to fail on your spells. But anything lower than that, and remember, you have to have at least 9 if you're going to be a cleric, you start getting a 5% penalty per point lower than 13. So if you've got a 9, you have a 20% chance of failing on your spells as a cleric. So what do you have to do? Just toss percentage dice? I would assume so. I, I... Dang. Yeah. But, uh... 20%'s not small. Yeah. But, like, uh, if you want to have, like, 6th or 7th level spells, for example, you have to have a score of 17 and 18, respectively, in your wisdom. Like, there's just... There's restrictions. Man, that's so interesting. It's a very different game than the Dungeons & Dragons we played today. Sorry. Can you just flip back? There's an illustration on this page I really want to see. We will definitely take pictures of all these illustrations we want you to see. It's essentially a wizard forcing a fighter to slip on a banana. It's a pretty great illustration. And there's also a monkey present sitting on an end table. Oh man, this is good. There's a lot to unpack in these pictures. And then you got freaking like Curly from the Three Stooges in this other photo. That's insane. This book is wild. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, let's go to races. Uh, there is there's a lot with races to unpack. Uh, my evidence that this is a book of the 70s. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I'm not going to pass any moral judgments here, but I'm just going to say this is definitely a 70s book. Um, I'm just going to read part of the section on uh, half-orcs. Which were not Gary Gygax's favorites, as it showed in the last section. <clears throat> Orcs are fecund. I don't even know what that word means, by the way. Doesn't that just mean the same thing as, like, uh, vulgar? I'm going to look it up. Hold okay. On. I'm going to keep reading it while you look it up. Okay, go ahead. Orcs are fecund and create many crossbreeds. Most of the offspring... Oh, wait. I thought that might mean fertile. Hold on. Yeah, it means fertile. <laughs> so, fecund, there's your word for the day. F-E-C-U-N-D. Yep. Fertile. I Well, that was my first thought. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then you were like, they produce a ton of offspring. And I was like, oh no. And then I pulled it up. And sure enough. Also, yep. it's a technical term for women, meaning that they're capable of becoming pregnant and giving birth. Huh. Interesting. So, theoretically, maybe a medical term. Hmm. Very interesting. Anyway... Orcs are fecund and create many crossbreeds, most of the oh, offspring man. of such being typically orcish. <laughs> what did you find? <laughs> Just the best synonym. According to this, this is a rare synonym, which is fructuous. 
fructuous. It means full of or producing a great deal of fruit. Or maybe, yeah, fructuous. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm really going to... I'm really gonna. I'm turning this into an entomology this. podcast again, and that's not gonna do. <laughs> eh, you're an English major; it's fine. What can I do? Um, anyway, orcs are fecund to create many crossbreeds. Most of the offspring of such beings typically orcish. However, some one tenth of orc human mongrels are sufficiently non-orcish to pass for human. So far, so good. Is it though? So far, <laughs> he just so referred good. to all of them as mongrels. <laughs> so far, so good. Okay, continue. Uh, skipping where you can find more details about it, uh, it says then, as it is assumed that player characters, which are of half-orc race, are within the superior 10%. No! <laughs> Yo! What is happening in this book? The superior 10%? They have what? certain advantages. What? Oh, man, these half-orcs need to check their privilege in a big way. <laughs> Keep it rolling. What do we got? Um, well, after that, I actually think it dives off with the 70s string, but it still is really weird and a very yeah, interesting Yeah, you would game. never, I mean, like, in no modern writing of anything would you ever use that phraseology. With one specific exception, if you were creating in-world documents for a campaign sure, and trying to trying give to it a certain feel racist. for that purpose, right, but it just... But, like... Like, I, I mean, it, it just in, in the way that even, I mean, this is obviously a fantasy scenario. I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily the most grievous thing, but I think it reflects an attitude that was common in the 70s. Not to get political and discoursey here, but like, that's yep. crazy. You would never, I mean, I, I personally would never think of somebody as being in the top 10% of superiority and then thereby having certain advantages just naturally built into their genetics yeah the only time i ever use like a percentage to refer to people is when i'm flippantly talking about the one percent right um super interesting but huh. then i want to point this out because i'm just going to keep reading from the half work section this is common of all the sections except uh well maybe not all the sections but many of the sections okay, keep it rolling a half orc character can become a cleric Maximum of fourth level. Wait, hold on. So it can only become a cleric before fourth level? No, no, no. It can only have four levels of cleric. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm there. Um, a fighter, maximum of tenth level. A thief, maximum of eighth level. Or an assassin. It is also possible for a half-orc character to operate in two classes at the same time. Cleric, fighter, cleric, thief, cleric, assassin, fighter, thief, or fighter, assassin. When playing a multi-class character, the half-orc must abide by the restrictions of the least favorable class with regard only to armor. Wait, what? All earned experience is always divided equally between the player's two classes, even though the character might no longer be able to progress upwards in level oh, in one of the two classes. No! This game is savage! So the idea is, let's say you want to play a cleric assassin half-orc... <laughs> Sorry, roll that by that combo by me one more time. A cleric, assassin, half orc. Okay. Um, you would pl ideally what you would. Do. There's a difference between thief and assassin in this. There is. So is it is it sorry cleric, fighter, wizard, thief? We'll assassin. get into okay, the classes okay, next. Okay. Uh, hopefully, you guys are having as much fun with this, this uh, as we are. Um, it actually makes me really tempted to run just one time an A D and D adventure just to kind of see how it I'd probably show up. up for it frankly like, yeah that'd be cool um but uh 
Check this. Uh, so you're playing the cleric assassin. You can go up to 8th level assassin, and you can go up to 4th level cleric. So ideally, you wouldn't become a cleric until you were already like 5th or 6th level assassin. Because you have to split the experience points equally Halfway. between the two. So if you get 100 experience points, 50 goes to being a cleric, and 50 goes to being an assassin, even if you're already a level 4 cleric. Also, it says you can only take two classes. Yeah. Which means that you don't want to pick... Like a thief and a cleric, because then you can only progress 12 levels in the game. Mm-hmm. Dang. Though I'm not sure it goes up to 20 levels. I mean, there was an implication, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I think... Oh my gosh. I just found the picture of the half-orc. Oh boy. That's going no. to... Oh no. Oh my gosh. Guys, this is bad. Like I know, I'm sorry, this is an audio medium, but guys, this is bad. This is going up. Oh no. Oh man. The other thing that you would never see in modern Dungeons and Dragons that's here is a racial preferences table. What tell me about that. Yeah, okay, so so there's there's six letters and it basically will say like um like, for example, it'll go through each race, and then it'll tell you the the association of that race with each other race. Okay. So, so for example, uh, P is preferred, G is goodwill, T is tolerance, N is neutral, A is antipathy, and H is hatred. Okay. okay. So, dwarves prefer dwarves. Sure. They have antipathy toward elves. Okay. They have goodwill towards the gnomes, neutral towards half-elves. They have goodwill towards halflings. They hate half-orcs, and they're neutral toward humans. Okay, I actually am not very bothered by that, though. But you would never see this in... It, it is in the 5th edition. But, it isn't... Yeah, but, but not like this. Right, right. Because the, essentially what this suggests is that because my character was born... Dwarvish, he has to hate elves or or be an- antipathic toward elves. But that kind of makes sense in some ways. And what I mean is, you know, that it, prejudice is a thing. No, I, I understand that. I'm just saying I've never seen it written into the rules as clearly, right? Right, right. Like, this, this, it's very Tolkien-esque. I, again, I'm not trying to pass a moral judgment here. I'm just saying the difference, like, this is not something you would see in a modern RPG as easily, right? You might see it in the case of, like, the Eberron setting, where the Warforged tend to be more hated, right? Well, I actually want to pull something from the Player's Handbook uh, for the 5th edition, because this is something that gets missed over. In each of the race sections, there's a section that explains how the other races view that how that race views other races. So, for example, in Elves, I'll just read this, for example. This is how they view dwarves. Quote, Dwarves are dull, clumsy oafs. But what they lack in humor, sophistication, and manners, they make up in valor. And I must admit, their best smiths produce art that approaches elven quality. Right. There's and definitely some arrogance there. Right. Let me give you a deeper dive, though. Because, oh, like, this makes sense. It gets deeper. Like, I wish that racial preferences in this game stopped there. Because this is wild. Okay? Remember how I said dwarves are have goodwill toward halflings? Yeah. That is only regard with regard to two sub-races of halfling, the tall fellows and the stouts. All other halflings they're only tolerant towards. That's incredibly complex and could potentially lend to some interesting storytelling. Sure. But t- take a, a look at this. 
with regards to halfling dwarf relations, the stouts regard dwarves as acceptable, but other halflings only tolerate them. There's some serious, like, Rwanda-level stuff going up in here. That's really interesting. And then, when it comes to elves, only tall fellows regard elves as good companies. Other halflings are tolerant. So all of these sub-races have to do with halflings. It's a very... I mean, again, it's very Tolkien-esque, right? This is a very... In fact, I can't even say that those are sub-races of halflings. Those might be families. Yeah. And that would be very Tolkien. Right. Although, right? I don't think Gary Gygax liked Tolkien. He, he thought The Lord of the Rings was a stupid book. Yeah, you wouldn't know from reading this. Yeah. Because this is almost beat for beat the Lord of the Rings role-playing game. Well, and that's how a lot of fantasy was back then. No, totally. But what I'm saying, I mean, it, it was so... This paperclip has been in so long that there's rust on this page. What? That's legendary. It is legendary. That's really cool. Anyway, but what I'm saying is that, that, that it bleeds through in all those ways. Again, not this is not to make a moral judgment, but again, this just isn't something you would see... Right, right. ...in the same way in the modern age, right? That's super interesting. But in the 70s, if, like, let's say, a, like, just culturally speaking, if a white man married a black woman, mm-hmm. he was known as the guy who married the black woman, right? Whereas yeah. that kind of thing is much more common now. Man, this has been quite the deep dive into this book. Yeah, we're, we're going to go for a quick break. Well, there's one last thing to talk about. There's not a ton to oh, say okay. here. I can just read it from the table of contents, but then... Yeah, no, 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 hit it. But then we'll hit our break. And then we'll, we'll swing to the beggar's corner. Yeah. Um, the character classes at the time, I think it's just worth mentioning what they are by name. Okay. I, I don't think we're going to dive much more into that. Sure. I, I'm sure we'll come back to this book in a future episode. Yeah, undoubtedly. Go ahead. Um, so the character classes at the time were cleric, and druid was a subclass of cleric. Like, they were oh, considered one and the same, but, like, but not the same. different. Sure. Um, then there was fighter, and subclasses of fighter were paladin and ranger. Ah. Um, then there was magic user. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> With the subclass of illusionist, then thief, subclass assassin, and then monk. And those those were the... What is that, six? Five? One, two, five three, four, classes. five, with uh, five subclasses. Interesting. Well, here's what I like, is that there is no bard. There's no bard, there's no sorcerer, there's no warlock, there's no wizard. They're all kind of lumped under uh, magic user. Well, there's no barbarian. Sense, well, but in a sense... I guess what I'm trying to say here is the bard is the underrepresented one here. Yeah. Right? Because magic user covers sorcerer and warlock loosely. Yeah. Fighter loosely covers barbarian, but there's no analog to a bard in this book, which is really interesting. Yeah, it doesn't come around until third edition. Huh. So, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, oh, man. What? What What did you find? <laughs> there's light, like mechanics for light, and then instead of dark vision... There were mechanics for infravision, which would be infrared, and ultravision, which I'm assuming is UV vision. Or that maybe is such a there are mechanics for dark vision. I know that's in there. Oh, like half orcs do have sixty foot dark vision. Interesting. So this is different. Infravision is the ability to see into the infrared spectrum. Thus, heat radiation becomes visible, and differences in temperature allow infrared sight. Ultravision is the ability to see radiation in the ultraviolet spectrum. That is crazy 70s. That is some well, next level 70s stuff. But now I kind of want to put it in a campaign. Yeah, it's cool. There's also a great illustration on that page. Dang, I wish we could show you this whole book. This is not... Oh, man. That demi-shadow sh- demi monster is insane. Man. Like I said, we're going to put a bunch of these pictures on our Instagram page. Uh, because this has been a treat looking through this. Yeah. And like I said, we'll come back to it. And maybe one day we'll actually run a campaign, maybe like a 
a one-shot or a couple of small adventures in AD&D. Yo, there's some old-level stuff in here. Mordenkainen's sword is still in evocation, and so is Big Beast's clenched fist. Yeah, no, there's a lot of old stuff. I told you this was cool. Dang. All right, all right, let's go to the Baker's Corner. part of the show where we talk about how you can get in contact with us and where you can find all of our information. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with the email, leaving you to actually get the second part right. Our email is initiativeroll, R-O-L-E, at gmail.com. And where can people find us on the internet? Uh, they can find us in many places, actually. Oh, that's true, actually. Hold on. We, we have our blog, as always, at initiativeroll.blogspot.com. And then, of course, we have our Instagram page, which we will be uploading pictures uh, from today's episode up to, uh, and that's initiative underscore roll. Again, R-O-L-E in all of our stuff. And most recently, we are on Twitter. Uh, we are at initiative underscore roll on Twitter, um, and that will be the best place to theoretically build a conversation. Um, yeah. We, uh, we invite everybody to tweet about the show using the hashtag initiative roll, um, and we will, from there... We will be able to get more news out to you that way if Twitter's more your flavor. Now, Mr. Logan, I've never used Twitter, and I don't know what Twitter's like. Can you please explain it to me and our in-studio audience? Wink. Well, I'll wait for them to finish clapping. <laughs> Guys, it's gratuitous at this point. Come on. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so, like, what do you mean? What is it like on Twitter? It's bad. <laughs> I, I, it's not a good place. It is the public square. <laughs> Um, no, I, I'm joking. While I never have used Twitter, uh, I'm, I do get the basic concept of how it works. It's the best. Twitter's yeah. the best. It's also the worst. Yeah. Man, what a place. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, if you want to ask us questions or make comments about the show, that's great. Also, we will accept questions in any of the other places we mentioned, whether that be comments on our blog or on our Instagram page or email. Um, I know for a fact there's... There's people out there who listen to this show who've never written in. We would love to hear from you specifically. Uh, give us your stories, characters, or questions. Anything you want us to talk about on the show that's even tangentially related to D&D, we'd love to talk about it. Absolutely. You know what I just realized? What did you just realize? Well, first of all, Gary Gygax's first name was Ernest. Huh. And second... Ernest Gygax just doesn't have the same... No, it doesn't. Second of all, he died on March 4th, 2008. Which means, and he was, as he said, the definitive RPG authority. Which means that the next Avatar in the cycle is almost 11 years old. Huh. Okay, okay. Hey, if you know somebody who was born, like, mm, March 4th, March 5th, 2008, keep a close eye on that one. You never know. They huh. could be the next, could be Larry Gygax or Mary Gygax. How would that work? <laughs> Very I guess it went, from, it went from Aang to Korra, so there's actually no rhyme nor reason to how that Avatar cycle Actually, works. there is rhyme and reason to how the Avatar cycle works. With the names? Uh, with the uh, with the sex of the Avatar, so male and female. Yeah, it's alternating, isn't it? Um, not quite. Oh, you're right, because Avatar... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gonna try and say this one with a straight face. Avatar Roku. <laughs> what, what's wrong with Avatar Roku? 
It's just, it was made in a time before the Roku was a thing. Oh, sure. <laughs> and now contextually, I cannot you separate, can't separate the them. two. I, all I want is them to add, like, a me functionality to Roku, which would be, like, your Roku avatar. Sure, sure. Anyway. No, uh, quick side note. How the avatar cycle works is, so like you said, avatar Roku, he's male, and then Aang is male, and then Korra is female. Um, but what happens is, if Air is the first one, it alternates. So male, female, male, female. Except for fire's the fourth one every time. And, and it's what, always male? No, so whatever... No, it the just fo- seems like a Fire Nation thing to do. <laughs> no, so whatever the fourth one is, the air one, the first one, is as well. So, let, hold on, what? Let, let me see if I can explain this. So, the in in Avatar: The Last Airbender, you have the you have the first avatar. I'm gonna say the first avatar is a female Airbender. We meet her okay. in the Sozin's Comet episode. Then there's a male Waterbender. Then a female Earthbender, Kyoshi. Then a male Firebender. And then, and a, then male a male Airbender. And then Korra's a female Waterbender. Oh. And so then it'll be a Male, male earthbender, earthbender, a female firebender, and then, and then a female, female airbender. I gotcha. I gotcha. Which, uh... That's a weird pattern. That's a weird pattern, but I think it's kind of cool. Man, I think I would have failed that third grade math test if you <laughs> identify that one. Yeah, that's, that's a tough pattern. Man. No, that's cool, though. That's super, super um, cool. But we already alluded to this. Our episode today is dedicated to Gary Gygax. Yeah, um... Hmm. You know we've said we've we've said and read some problematic Gary Gygax material today, but at the the end of it all, he we owe a lot to him. We owe a ton to him. He's the reason that we played this game, why we have this podcast. Uh, we owe a lot to him. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, storytelling and gaming and friendships have been made and forged through D and D. Yeah. In addition, I mean. I, we, we've talked about this a lot. Dungeons and Dragons has never... Like, I... It's not my go-to flavor, right? And it never has been, and it probably never will be. But the stupid amount of video games that I have played as a result of this man's work and his legacy is insane. There's not a single role-playing game out there that doesn't use some sort of stat system. Right. And that's partly because computers have to use it, but also partly because of this. But computers don't need a stat system. Oh, sure. I was thinking in, like, the really, really far background info, like... Oh, you you mean even, like, just hit points? Or movement speed and things like no, that. No, I'm talking about, like, most modern RPGs use a strength mechanic. Right. Or an, an item damage stat. Or a... An agility mechanic, you know? Yeah. These things have persisted because of the work that he did on the game. And with that, I do want to read one more thing from his uh, forward here today that I think uh, puts him in a better light than we maybe have been casting him in during this show. Yeah, I'm not trying to throw shade on him. Um, Because I really respect a lot of what he did and how he influenced my life. Um, But here's here's what I want to read. He said... uh, some of this I kind of chuckle at, but for, but there's one thing I really want to focus on. He said, You will find no pretentious dictums here, herein, no baseless limits arbitrarily placed on female strength or male charisma, no ponderous combat systems for greater realism. There isn't a hint of a spell point system whose record keeping would warm the heart of a mono, monomaniacal statistics lover or anything else of the sort. I mean, 
The I, depot was like almost everything he just said, but I see what you yeah. mean. Specifically, though, no baseless limits arbitrarily placed on female strength or male charisma. Totally. Um, and Gary Gygax, I think, in some ways, was ahead of his time, both in creating this game, but then also recognizing that men and women both are going to play this game, or that men are going to play female characters and vice versa, and that there's no real reason that there should be arbitrary, oh, women aren't as strong as men, or, you know, men don't have as much charisma as women, um, even though there are definitely men who are stronger than some women, and there are some women who have more charisma than some men, he recognized that that's not necessarily a universal truism. And it doesn't necessarily define the, the people in a world, right? Right. I mean, there are so many women I know who could beat the living tar out of me right. just with their strength. I mean, they're incredibly strong. They're incredibly talented. And, you know, there are men that I know that can talk circles around people. Right. They, people come in all spreads. And I, I, I even think with what we talked about earlier with, with some of the more racially charged thinking, again, it's not like he said, like, if you pick your character, be African. Right. Like that's what's going on. I mean, he was he was adhering to a, a, a fictional race structure. And so it's important to note that, you know, I don't know all of his thoughts. I don't know all of his political opinions. But he made a game that brings people together. And I think that's really cool. Also want to point out, this is from the, the Google that I did on him. Gary made a living as an insurance underwriter until he lost his job in 1970. Four years later, we have Dungeons & Dragons. Huh. And his functioning period the period he was considered active in what we know him for as an american game designer 1971 to 2008 so i guess what i'm trying to say is sometimes life hits you sometimes you lose your job as an insurance underwriter uh but you think he would have changed the world as an insurance underwriter probably i'm not. gonna say probably not so uh there's a lot we can learn from this guy in what he did with games and uh never being afraid to bounce back so Here's to Gary Gygax. There it goes. some of Gary Gygax's work today and, and to talk about his legacy a little bit. We do have one more thing we want to go over, and that's a quick swan dive directly into the character corner. Yeah, so a uh, little bit of background on this. Uh, it's only been recently that I've really been able to be a player in the game consistently. Normally, sure. if I want to play Dungeons & Dragons, I have to be the DM, Right. Um, which I enjoy doing. I love it. But it's nice to be the player once in a while and to not know what's going to happen. Um, and so I've not been too familiar with what a wizard can do, for example. Sure. Uh, though it is my favorite class. Uh, and my wizard, Fear, he recently became third level. And today we're going to talk about him. But uh, we're not going to talk about him, per se. We're going to talk about uh, 12 very special people in Fear's life. Uh, now, Fear... Uh, has acquired a spell called Alter Self. Oh. And with Alter Self, it's kind of like Disguise Self, but a little more uh, 
full on. Yeah. So you physically become the person that you're thinking of. You what? Hmm? What? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I sorry. I have so much in my mind to say about the Turtle Club and Gammy Num Nums. And... Yep. Nope. Oh, very master of disguise. Very master of disguise. For those of you who've seen that uh, special film. <laughs> Ooh, what a special film. Um, Mother's cannoli is here. Would you like to speak with the cannoli? <laughs> it's a weird one. It's yeah. a it's Daniel a very eh, pretty edgy racist Italian voice. Yep. It's a pretty early 2000s film. And, very, uh, very, 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 very ultra-selfie, though. Oddly enough, kind of tied with my early memories of D&D. Because it was right around that same age of my life that's that I was watching That's very weird, because that that's not where I'm at. <laughs> Interesting. Um, anyway, though, this spell lets you uh, create uh, fake personas, essentially, that you can control how your voice sounds exactly, you can control exactly your height and weight. There are restrictions. For example, you can't, if you're a human, be a halfling because they're a size class lower and so on and so forth, and you can't grow extra limbs or, you know, whatever. You have to be roughly similar to yourself. But uh, I I told Greg, our DM, that uh, I wanted to be able to take the week off that our players were taking where they were allowed to just do whatever errands they wanted. And with that week, I wanted to study various people around the city and I gave him a couple of different locations and he gave me he gave me 12 different NPCs around the city who I can now roleplay as that are actual people in the game and I've been studying their lives interesting so uh, for example if I go to the library um, I can disguise myself as Arcturus, the special collections librarian, or Arthur and Tuck, those are two people respectively, and they're the morning and afternoon security guards, or Mert, the old bald guy who really just kind of hangs around the library. Um, if I want to go to the shanty towns outside of the city, I can be Brutus, the veteran soldier who guards the gate in the mornings, or Tuff, the muscular tiefling healer. Um, if I go to the governor's place, I can disguise myself as the cook Europa, or Abigail, the teenage courier, or the foreign butler. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. Hold on. Uh, those most dedicated fans will remember the first episode where I referenced Sabrina the Teenage Witch in an inordinate amount of times. Um, that's, that was my only thought when you said Abigail the Teenage Courier. <laughs> it's like a spinoff, and I'm there for it. Uh, so we're going back behind the Sabrina screen, huh? Right behind the Sabrina screen with the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Because um, Netflix can't let any sleeping dog lie. But my two favorites on this list are probably, quote, the foreign butler nobody can pronounce the name of. And then he's got this it's word here. Brian. He's got this word here that I'm not sure how to pronounce. All right. Hey, boy. <laughs> but I think it's Wasque Puruitos. <laughs> you want to give that a try? Yeah, hold on. I was going to say uh, Yasca Pariuotis. Maybe. I, I think that's going to be something, though, that if I ever impersonate that character, I better darn well learn how to say that name. Yeah, probably. Um, but then my favorite is uh, <laughs> is the one that I'm pretty sure is based off of uh, based off of our host here, uh, Camaro, a young noble whose father sent him as far as possible from the capital after he flunked out of CSU. Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is a personal attack. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dang it. Now, for what, for those of you at home who are concerned, don't worry. Logan is still an academic, and he is still currently enrolled in school. Well, yeah, we covered that a couple episodes ago. I oh, no, I wanted to make sure they knew that nothing had changed in that, that brief interim. <laughs> nothing has changed. He is the same. Uh, yeah, you can't look through the rest because there are spoilers there for the campaign. But, uh, yeah, the, I, I get to play all of those characters. And I also am going to be designing my own half dozen to a dozen so that are just totally fictitious persons. But you have to burn a pretty heavy spell slot to do that, right? Yeah, that's a second level spell slot, which is my highest one currently. So here's the thing. You know who else can do that same thing? No spell slot required. <laughs> yeah, okay, so a disguise kit isn't quite the same. No, but you can't hide your tail either. No, I actually can with this. You can't remove your tail. You can't change the number of... I can't add the amount of limbs. You can take and... them away? Mm-hmm. That seems weird. So, like, if I want to play a guy without an arm, I can get rid of one of my arms. Sure. I can't give myself, you know, like, six limbs... And I can't make myself ridiculously short. So it's not an Omnitrix. Right, it's not an Omnitrix. I am not uh, Fear 10. Alright, hold on, hold on. Pick an alien. Then 10. Just Um, give me one. Hotman? Hotman. (laughs) (laughs) What's his real name? Heat Blast? Heat Blast, yeah. Give me your best Heat Blast impression. Right now. Bust it out. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. I was going to go for an XLR8. I just fake. Lear, suckers. <laughs> Zip away. <laughs> Man, that was a fun, fun that, bit. Well, I guess We're that. adding a new segment to the show, and it is Ben 10 Alien Impersonations. <laughs> no, uh, it's going to be a staple of this podcast. L- little bit a little bit about uh, me, for those of you at home. I love doing voice impersonations. I'm not good at it, but I love doing it. Sure. Uh, it, it's very fun, so maybe, maybe we will make that a part of the show where we do voice impersonations. <laughs> so good. Man, I miss Ben 10. Hey, how come we got the chilling adventures of freaking Sabrina? Give mm. me give me Ben 10 back. Give me and good I, Ben 10. I don't mean ultimate alien. I mean, just give me Ben 10. Get Tara Strong to play all the roles. It'll be great. Yeah. No, it will be. It would be great. It would be Tara fantastic. Strong plays literally every role. You know how I know? Because she's great at every role she ever does. Because she played Ben and Gwen in the original <laughs> run of Ben 10. And we had no clue until we were adults. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah. So, she's good. so good. Um... This episode is now dedicated to <laughs> Tara Strong as I elbow Gary Gygax out of here. <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, yeah, so there you go. There's our uh, little character corner for the day. Uh, we don't have a ton else to talk about today. We, If we started talking about the other things we've got planned for this show, we'd make an episode that was like three hours long. Yeah, this is not that cast. This is not that cast. <laughs> In the other podcasts that I do where John and I run an half an hour over every time. Yep. We aim for, like, okay, this episode's probably going to be only like 40 minutes and then it lands at the hour mark. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, though, one last thing I do want to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to say what it is. This is a surprise for you listeners to kind of kind of keep your ears out for. The best kind of prize. Is a surprise. <laughs> what? That, that was my Willy Wonka Johnny Depp laugh. Okay. Who should I bust out? Because I have to match. You can I just was... be Freddie Highmore and look around like really uncomfortably. <laughs> I love how you didn't say Charlie Bucket. You just implied that that's all he does in every role. The good doctor is just standing <laughs> over the operating table looking around nervously. No, to be fair... 
<laughs> yeah, no, actually, fair enough. Though he's he's very good. Time has been kind to Freddie Highmore. Yes, it has been, and he's a fantastic actor in The Good Doctor. You want a real trip, though, listeners at home? Remember, remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Remember the brace face kid. Go ahead, give that guy a Google. Guess who had a major glow up? Don't worry, I have a picture now. You won't have to Google him. You you will not believe this glow up. Uh, let me see if I can get his name. Make it easier for y'all. His name is. His name is Blair Dunlop. Okay. Okay. You remember that? You remember the brace face? I've got a pretty good image of it in my head. Dang, girl! It, it, <laughs> if I wasn't married and if I was gay, I know he's he's an attractive man. Seriously, Google Blair Dunlop, and huh. seriously, somebody start a Patreon for this guy or something. He he could be in more if he he played Willy Wonka Braceface, but is also this guy. So yeah, um, time has been kind imagine, for some of the actors in that film. Imagine a uh, a, a slightly younger, incredibly handsome Owen Wilson, and I think you've got. Mm, yeah, probably. I think you got it. Um, well, wait. What was the teaser you wanted to drop? Yeah. So the teaser I want to drop now that you took the uh, the wind out of my sails. Uh, okay, Veruca Salt in it, Adriel. Oh wait, no, that's the first one. Hold on. Wait, why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the best people also ask it. That laugh was probably shrill. The best. <laughs> Guys, guys, there are so many good questions on this Google page. I just googled who played Veruca Salt. People also ask, what country is Veruca Salt from? Fair question. Fair. What does Veruca Salt mean? <laughs> Somebody thinks this is like a table salt of some sort. Wait, but hang on. It might be. That would be a very rolled doll thing to do because it was definitely a satire. Well, if it was derived from the Slavic name Verushka, uh, it would, which would mean true, honest, or faith, Author Roald Dow supposedly named a female character Veruca Salt after a medication in his medicine cabinet. Okay, hold on. What are the first signs of a Veruca? What pets does Veruca Salt have? And my personal favorite, brace yourself, guys. This is going to tell you about the, the, more, the fiber of the internet. Is Charlie Bucket still alive? <laughs> Dang it. I can't... I can't believe that I've just done this. I can't... This is literally... This is in, my, in my other cast, I'm always on the People Also Asks. I don't know why I do this to my podcast. You, you know that you you know that our, there's some listener out there who's like, just get to the surprise already. Yo, Charlie Bucket looks like he would play freaking Charlie Bucket's grandpa now. Oh, from the old... Yeah, like OG Charlie Bucket. Peter Ostrom. Go Pe- look that up. Dang. He's a veterinarian. <laughs> What? And former child actor whose only film role was as Charlie Bucket. <laughs> Guys, huh. this he went to Cornell. <laughs> huh. Guys, this is wild. Anyway, we do not have time for this. One last comment about the old uh, the old uh, Willy Wonka and the Char- Chocolate Factory. Uh, it's so good that we're getting all this done at the end. Instead I know, of like at, at the, the beginning. beginning. Uh, I gotta say this. Uh, back in the day, it was really common if you had a crack cocaine habit to grow your pinky nails out. That's really not long. a back in the day thing. That's very much still but, a thing. But bear with me, and so that you could scoop up the goods. Um, Doesn't his grandpa have one? Just a, yes, yeah. Look at Grandpa Joe when they're at the factory, and he's got his hands on Charlie, and uh, check out his pinky nails. <laughs> Uh, that's all I'm gonna say with that. <laughs> it's like the 
seventies or whatever. And wait, when was that movie? That's seventies, I think. Seventy-one. Yep, I think it was one of the last things Roald Dahl actually worked on in his life. Um. Anyway, though, we do have a surprise coming up. Uh. So. With that, I'm not going to tell you guys what the surprise is, but suffice to say, it will be showing up as one of our podcast episodes, and it will be coming by the end of this month. So, uh, I, I, I hope you enjoy the surprise as much as we're going to enjoy oh, it. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. It took me a second. Yep. No, it should be really, really cool. Yep. So, pay really close attention on that. We will do a lot of promo stuff leading up to it, so you will know when which episode it'll be, but just uh, keep up with that. Uh, in the meantime, I don't think there's, uh, I don't think there's much else except for, wait, what is that at the door? Is it Anna Sophia Robb who played Violet Beauregard? No. Talk about a glow up. Some of the people in this cast really glow, glued up, glowed up. Uh, okay. Dang, dude. You've just gone full Well, research. what's crazy about this is that the person who now looks the worst of all the people in that film is Johnny Depp. <laughs> Dang, okay. Johnny oh, that's not, not true. Veruca Salt Girl did not turn out well. And Grandpa Joe looks more Grandpa Joe than he ever has. Fair enough. Sorry, I just, I'm shook to my core. I gotta get out of this rabbit hole. Anyway, there's a knock at the door. What's going down? Stick it to me. Uh, well, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that this is, uh, this is the 70s, right? This is 78, Yeah. Right? You answer the door? Yeah? Yeah, I sure do. There's Gary Gygax standing there, and he says to you that it's time to <laughs> roll initiative. Mind Palace is so good. <laughs> In the seventies, he's on my porch. Like, can Logan play? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Did you already cut the recording? No. <laughs> okay, great. We're gonna put this in after the theme song. Oh, okay. So we'll cut it, at his, and we're gonna include all this. We're gonna cut it at his time to roll initiative, and then we'll just drop the rest of this clip into the end after the theme song, I love and it. see who sticks around. I love it. I love it. Cool. <laughs>